Joshua 5. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their, their hearts melted in fear and they long, no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibbaeth Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way to, after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they had healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites but that year they ate the produce of the land. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So up to this point, we've seen some pretty amazing things, haven't we? We've watched a lot of phenomenal things happen. The most important things we've witnessed are these things that we've been talking about in this series of messages called Getting Ready. We've seen them getting ready for the very day that they are now experiencing the day of a new or revisioned covenant with God. We've seen how they recognize that God is already moving. We've seen how their personal faith increased and how they saw influence others. Did you ever stop and think about the fact that the, in, the, the people in Jericho's faith was increasing too? Now for them, it wasn't good news. <laughs> You know, but uh, this just brings me to a little side point that I think is worth remembering. Sometimes you're angry with God. Sometimes you're disappointed in God. That's faith. You understand? Sometimes people come to their pastor and they say, well, I really feel like I'm losing my faith because I've been so disappointed with God. No, 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 no. God has to be real in order for God to be disappointing. Think about that for a minute. In the same way, the Israelites' faith increased as they saw the power that God had to deliver them from their enemies, but did, did not also the enemies' faith in God's ability to dispatch them increase? 
You bet it did. So the ultimate testimony to God's power was is that everybody, no matter whether they were on the good side of it or the not so good side of it, was seeing God's power and believing in God's power. They got ready to experience by watching how Joshua lived it. That's why it's so important that God puts people in us in our lives that serve as, you know, we might call them mentors, but they're really people whose life is a witness that we can look at. And, you know, in carpentry, you know, we have things that we call, you know, a witness pole or a witness stick, right? It's, it's a really easy way to know the measurement without giving it a lot of thought. Joshua was such a guy. He gave himself completely to God's plan. He was willing to face whatever obstacles came before him, and he was willing to wait for clear direction. And then, when God gave that direction, Joshua responded with confidence in God. Same guy who was sure that nothing was too big for God led them into the land of God's promise. And then there was this process that we heard about last week where they left some sort of testimony to speak, as it were, to the nations and to the generations that would follow them. And the significance of what they spoke wasn't so much in that it was beautiful to look at because it really wasn't. It was a pile of rocks, a big pile of rocks. And for that matter, there were two piles of rocks, as you recall, because one pile of rocks came from the place where they failed, and those were placed in the middle of the river, and when the river's waters returned to their natural flow, they were never to be seen again. It was as though the sin of the past had been washed over. It was like a baptism. And something new arose on the land where the promise was to happen, in Gilgal. And here's where this remarkable passage that we just read happens, where God says, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. I love how he says rolled away. Can anybody else visualize another time when something rolled away and an old broken covenant was renewed, a certain stone maybe, rolled away from covering a tomb? God likes to roll away the reproach of our failed relationships in the past with God, the sin. So now, what was once on hold is no longer on hold, is it? Now, God's plan is starting again. Now, some of you are going to watch some little football game tonight, I hear. And the commercials are going to be so good that you're not going to want to go to the bathroom or to the refrigerator. So the only thing you can do if, if you have the capability is hit the pause button on your DVR. And you'll put the whole thing on hold for a few minutes while you deal with necessary things. This is what God did. Because the reality of the reproach of Egypt is that saying that I used last week, not my own, but it's clever and I like it. It only took three days to get out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. So the Israelites didn't have much trouble leaving the land behind, but they had a lot of trouble leaving the culture behind. So much so that they rebelled against God at a crucial moment and therefore 
Kadesh Barnea became the beginning of the end of the journey for a number of people, an entire generation of people. And it was at that moment the whole plan got put on hold. And the implication that's here in the passages we just read is that they stopped doing the certain things that had been dictated to them through Moses. They stopped doing circumcision, celebrating a Passover and certain other rites. It all got put on hold. And they just wandered, following God, putting the past behind them, letting the the failed, rebellious generation die away. And then after they enter into the promise, the first thing that happens is God commands that they would all be circumcised. Now, that's a physical thing and it's a male thing, but this is more than that in that this is the whole people of Israel declaring their willingness to put their flesh on the line to honor the new covenant, or what should probably be referred to as covenant 1.1, a revised covenant. It's the same covenant, but it's been revised and restarted, so to speak. And the beginning came with the death of Moses and the ascension of Joshua to the place of leadership. And they were circumcised. Remember we said that this is as many as two million people, as few as a million people, and all the males were circumcised. And I'm sure, women, you would agree that everyone suffered while the men were in pain. Because we all know we're big babies, don't we, fellas? We want our mommies when we're not feeling well. And of course, God says, just everybody relax until the healing has occurred. And the reality is sort of colorful and maybe even humorous as it is, is that they've put their flesh on the line. And here's another way. The whole nation put their flesh on the line. They are now more motivated than ever to take command of the land of promise because the Lord has turned off the manna machine. Now I know because of my superior education in these things that God has a big bin up in heaven. You know, like one of those bins you see at the hotel conference room where the cereal comes down a little chute and you open it and put the cereal in your bowl. God stopped filling it with manna that day. And the last, this is a joke people, He's staring at me like, is he serious? Okay. I was on a roll and I had to go and ruin it with a bad joke. So the man stops and the people are motivated, right? Think about it. They're motivated. Now they've got to feed themselves. But don't forget, this is the place where the grapes are as big as watermelons. Remember Joshua and Caleb? came back and said, you wouldn't believe the produce these people have in this land. And then there was other 10 who said, you wouldn't believe the size of the giants they got working for them. Some people saw the giants. Some people saw the fruit. Well, now it's the people who saw the fruit who are taking possession of the promise. And abundance is right in front of them. God doesn't need to give them manna anymore, but they are motivated It's as though they burned their ships. They burned the manna machine at the shores of the Jordan River. And now they're motivated. 
they have to take Jericho. They have to take the promised land because this is how they will feed their people. God is with them. God makes this clear because as they put their flesh on the line, as they bet their bodies in a physical commitment to God that later in the New Testament will be referred to as a circumcision of the heart, is also a commitment to their family's livelihood. They're believing and trusting that whatever sacrifices they make, God will not let their families go hungry. God will defeat their enemies. And so one of the principal lessons that they've learned in this is to remember God's holiness. Now, I want to talk with you about that for a moment because this is so important. This is a big theological moment in our discussion so far. God's holiness could be defined in a few ways, but the most important and the most critical, especially in this story of the journey of Israel from Egypt to their promised relationship with God in a land where they are devoted to God. This is the most important thing to understand. God's holiness has to do with the fact that God, the creator of everything that is, was, and ever will be, isn't part of the creation. This is a foundational theological understanding. The word theology means understanding God. Okay? So to understand God's nature, the thing they have to get through their heads, and we have to get through ours, is God's not part of what God created. God existed before everything God made. The Bible starts with these words, in the beginning, God. Now, why is that important? Because the holiness of God is dependent on the fact that God isn't Created that God isn't part of what God has created. We can relate to God because God has given us certain capacities like God's own. As he said in the Garden of Eden, let us make them in our own image. And we live in a time when we can understand what that probably means more completely than ever because we can see through science. I watched BBC last night, uh, 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 I forgot what it was called already, Blue Planet or something, right? All these animals and everything. What's really amazing is, is that, that as fascinating and complex as the animals of this world are, there's no animal that comes really close to who we are. There's no animal or any other created thing that has the same level of self-determination that God gave to humanity. And in that way, we are made in God's image. So the fundamental truth of God's holiness is that God is not part of what God has created, but God has invited the chief among the creation, humanity, to be part of God's life and God's existence. Huge, very important theological point. And the reason that this is important at this particular time is because the whole journey of Israel at this point has been a maturing understanding of God and the kind of relationship God intends for the people to have with God. Because in Egypt, they were just as subject to the whim of the false gods of Egypt as the Egyptians were. This is why God gave testimony in those 10 plagues to defeat the various gods of Egypt. 
This is why the 10th plague afflicted Israel just as it afflicted Egypt. Because this was God's final statement to the people of Israel about God's unique nature apart from and wholly other than the creation. And it was only through the sacrificial lamb and the blood on the doorposts that they were spared God's wrath. A wrath that only the one true God could inflict on creation. Now, after journeying with that God through all that they've been through and entering into the land of promise, it is an understanding that their covenant is with that God, the God. And that God, the God, says, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. I believe you've put it behind you. And we can go forward from here. What's this mean to us? Well, as a church, it means that we can put behind us the reproach of our failings, too. If we've got anything we're still afraid of or fearful about, uh, you know, because we're disappointed that our church did this or didn't do that or whatever, it's time to say this has been our year of Sabbath. And one of the reasons for this Sabbath break is so that we could put that behind us, that we could roll away the reproach of past failings and focus on the future of promise. And that's what we're doing. In our own lives, it's the same way. We all have things that we wish we hadn't done or said or been a party to. And every now and again, we need to bury them in the middle of the Jordan River, so to speak, and let the water rush over. When we come to the communion table today, it will be like that. We don't need a Passover feast anymore to be forgiven by God or to have God's judgment pass us by. But we like to do this on a regular basis because it becomes another chance to bury the things that need to be buried. To sacrifice the things that have held us back and kept us on hold when all the while God was ready to hit the reset button and let us move forward. Now, who here doesn't need that once in a while? I mean, I have learned in my journey with Christ that there are often times, probably once a month, at least once a decade, where I find myself ready for renewal and ready for the reset. We could say you made yourself over, but the truth is, is that you ask God for a do-over and with the right repentance and sanctification, that is seeking your holiness as it relates to the Lord through the Holy Spirit, you began to see renewal and transformation in your life. Happens to me pretty regularly. I've only been born again once, but I've been growing up ever since. And this is the goal. So remember, you need to renew your grasp of God's vision and plan regularly. You know that God has a plan for your life, for your church, for the things 
that you're involved with. In fact, God doesn't only have a plan, God's already at work. So we look for where God is at work and we join God in that. If we need renewal, we only have to ask. And God's ready to provide renewal. Our renewal comes through Jesus Christ. We have received Jesus as God's once and final answer to the question. He, unlike the Passover sacrifice, only had to be offered once and forever. This is why when we receive the elements in a few minutes, we recognize what Jesus means when he says, this is my body broken for you so your sins can be forgiven. And this is my blood shed so that you will not experience the just wrath of a holy God. And so by accepting Christ, you get those benefits. But the, the responsibility of Submission to Christ's authority in your life remains. And therefore, putting your flesh on the line in the same way that they were circumcised, in the same way they bet their future on God's ability to get them where they needed to be and to always stand between them and their enemies. This is the same for us. Let us pray. Oh God, burn your word into our hearts now so that we might be changed forever by it. And as we prepare to receive your blessing through Holy Communion, may it be for us the body and blood of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.